Good morning. If you've not met me before, my name is Melanie um, and I'm part of the leadership here in Real Life Church and from time to time I'm allowed to get up and speak, uh, which is a massive privilege. I'm married to Stuart. I have two boys, one called Levi and one called Asher. Um, I'm a full-time mummy, which I had to phone through for a new phone yesterday and the woman on the phone said to me, so you're unemployed then, are you? Oh, and I had, you know, they didn't have a category for me apart from unemployed. So I, I had to say, yes, I'm unemployed. So actually, I'm a mummy. Um, no one pays me because they can't afford me, is what I should have said. So um, before I was a mummy, I did this lots, and now I'm a mummy, I do it from time to time. So you are very... Um, privileged this morning to come and hear me and I'm very privileged to get up and speak to you. I'm going to be speaking out of the Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, If you don't know what that is or you've not seen it, I I will help you. Um, A Christmas Carol is a book by Charles Dickens. Uh, It was published on the 17th of December 1843. So what's that, about 170 years ago. Um, It tells the story of the greedy, penny-pinching Ebenezer Scrooge, um, who is visited on Christmas Eve by his former boss or business partner, Jacob Marley, and then the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. And it's a story really about the poor, about money, about a transformation, about Christmas. Uh, There are literally... 20 films, I think, made of... I went on Amazon and typed in Christmas Carol, and there were just page after page of movies made out of this story. Uh, I I wonder if Charles Dickens ever uh, saw what kind of future his book would have. Uh, My favourite one, by far, is Muppet's Christmas Carol, uh, partly because I'm about five years old inside. um, But also, I just think the Muppets are just so funny in it. So if you've not seen a Muppet's Christmas Carol, you'll get snippets of it throughout the morning, but you should go home and watch it. That would be my application. You should go home and watch Muppet's Christmas Carol. It's lots of fun. Charlie, if you could just tee up clip number one, that would be brilliant. Thank you. No harm done.
Scrooge. Oh. Looking older and more wicked than ever. I knew he wouldn't disappoint us. Ah! <laughs> Who are you? In life, we were your partners, Jacob and Robert Marley. It looks like you. But I don't believe it. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing can affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach can make them cheat. You may be a bit of undigested beef, a blob of mustard, <laughs> a crumb of cheese. Yes, there's more of gravy than of grave about you. <laughs> more of gravy than of grave? What a terrible pun. Where do you get those jokes? Leave comedy to the bears, Ebenezer. <laughs> Please, Jacob, Robert, don't criticize me. Me. We were always heckling you. It's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again. Why do you come to me? We're Marley and Marley, avarice and greed. We took advantage of the poor, just ignored the needy. We specialized in causing pain, spreading fear and doubt. And if you could not pay the rent, we simply threw you out. <laughs> there was the year we evicted the entire orphanage. Uh, I remember the little kites all standing in the snowbank with their little frostbitten teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> we're Marley and Marley, our hearts were painted black. We should have known our evil deeds would put us both in shackles. Captive bound, we're double ironed, exhausted by the weight. As freedom comes from giving love, so prison comes with hate. We're Marley and Marley. We're Marley and Marley. But my friends, you were not unfeeling towards your fellow men. True. There was something about mankind we loved. I think it was their money. <laughs> Doom, Scrooge. You're doomed for all time. Your future is a horror story written by your crime. Your chains are forced by what you say and do. You'll have your fun when life is done. A nightmare waits for you. <laughs> what are these terrible chains? Oh, the chains! We forged these chains in life by our acts of greed. You wear such a chain yourself. Humbug. Speak comfort to me, friends. Comfort! Haunted? I've already had enough of that. Without these visits, you cannot hope to avoid the past weeks. Ghost tonight, when the bell tolls one. Can't I meet them all at once and get it over with? When the bell tolls one. We're Marley and Marley. Whoa. We're Marley and Marley. Now, I know at this point you really want to watch the rest of the movie and don't want to listen to me. However, I have a few things to say. So, out of every movie clip, I just want to share a few kind of thoughts, really. I, I want to provoke, so some of the things that I've got to say this morning might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I was about to say sorry about that. I'm not sorry. Um, 
If you do feel a little bit uncomfortable, just maybe assume that God is perhaps stirring you as opposed to I'm making you feel uncomfortable. Um, I want to use bits from the Bible and I want to use bits from the movie just to be able to communicate a couple of things. So I want to talk to you about two things out of that clip, really. I want to talk to you about money, which I know is a hard subject, and I want to talk to you about someone's watching us, which, again, I know in, in this kind of society is an interesting subject as well. So firstly, someone sees your past your present and your future. Uh, The Bible says that that someone is God. And you may find that comforting and truly terrifying all at the same time. I know for me, when I became a Christian, um, understanding that God saw my past, uh, I found quite terrifying. Understanding that he not only saw everything I did that everybody else saw, but he saw my intentions, he saw my motives, he saw my heart. So I might sometimes look a certain way, but inside might feel a completely different way. And I remember thinking at one point, crumbs, there are things I've done that I wouldn't even want my own mum to see, let alone God, maker of heaven and earth. The Psalms, uh, there's some beautiful stuff written in the Psalms. If you've not dipped into that or never read it, there's some amazing things. But Psalm 139 talks about God being involved with us. And, And I think you can look upon God as someone who is watching you from afar, looking down and a judge and terrifying. Or you can look upon him more like a parent who's actively involved and wanting the best for you. So Psalm 139 says... Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It is so high I cannot attain it. Then a bit further on, for you formed my inmost parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows this very well. What the Bible describes is a dad, really, who is, who is very involved in us being even alive today, but also what our past looks like, our present looks like, and our future looks like. He sees all of it as if it was one. Does, does that kind of make sense? So when he looks upon us, he sees our past and, and all our mistakes and all our guilt and all our shame. He sees our present, whatever point we're at. So if you know Jesus in this room, he sees that. If you don't, he sees that. And he sees our future, the person we're to become, the person who he has in mind for us. All, all those things, he sees it as, as one. Which is why through the Bible, you, you hear Jesus talking to people and you think, that's not what they're like at all. And you understand that he sees them as they should be or as they will be so there's one disciple who's my favorite Peter who is always getting stuff wrong I don't know if anyone can identify with that attempting things and just messing up speaking first and thinking later Peter was one of those kind of people I identify with him massively I think oh yeah that my heart would be in the right place and I kind of leap in and then think oh I shouldn't have said that done that I I identify with him and Jesus describes him as the rock that he'll be built his church upon and you look at him and think he's not rock-like at all in fact he looks more like play-doh 
You know, he looks like you could just squidge him and, and shape him into whatever you like. However, what God sees in him and says about him is completely different. So for Jacob Marley, he was promising Ebenezer Scrooge that the spirits were coming and they would reveal to him his past, his present and his future. For Scrooge, he was terrified about that. I wonder, with you sitting here this morning, whether you are terrified about that or comforted by that, that there is a spirit, the Holy Spirit, who knows everything about you, who knows what you did yesterday, who knows what you thought yesterday and who knows what you'll do tomorrow. I wonder if that comforts you or terrifies you. Secondly, I just want to talk about money. And I know it's a, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, money, especially at Christmas time. So who's been out shopping? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yesterday, I popped into, no, the day before, Tesco's, and people are already going mad. So people are already starting to push a bit, jostle a bit, grab things. It is my least favourite shopping experience. I hate the sales and I hate Christmas shopping because people push you and people snatch and people do all the things that I just don't like. Strangers kind of like reach over and grab things. I just don't like any of that. So I came home, I said, Stuart, I feel a little bit traumatised and it's not even the week leading up to Christmas yet because people are starting to push me and I don't like that. And they're starting to snatch and they're starting to get cross with people. See, Christmas has this kind of edge to it where we often spend money we don't have, where we often go beyond what is necessary. The Bible says this about money. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That verse is often misquoted. Often people will say, For the love of money is the root... Oh, no, let me get it right. So the Bible says... For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Often it's misquoted and people say, for money, for the money is the problem. Actually, the love of money is the problem. And the Bible's really clear about that. So to desire it, to put it in a place where it does not belong, that's the problem. And that's what leads to all kinds of evils. You see, money makes promises that it just can't keep. And I don't know if you found yourself in any of these kind of positions. Money promises happiness. And I've seen people devote their lives to earning more, getting more, in order that they would be happy. What happens is they spend a lot of time trying to be happy, thinking that money is the answer. Money promises security. But you see it, don't you, over and over again that it can just be whipped away just like that. So it offers a security, but a very temporary security. You see it sometimes when people win the lottery and they've suddenly amassed all this wealth and then out of nowhere, so I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's a high percentage of lottery winners that actually end up in debt. Because actually it, it's, it's some, it offers something and then it snatches it away. It makes you go a little bit crazy, to be honest. Um, money offers satisfaction but I don't know if you're like me but I will often want something and save for it or buy it and as soon as I have it I think to myself if only so this happened to me my husband took me out on Thursday we had a rare day just the two of us and we did a little bit of shopping and there was a scarf I really liked so he bought it for me to go with my Christmas present it's just so cute I can't wait to get it on Uh, As we're going home, I thought to myself, I wonder if they do a hat to go with that scarf. 
What is that? Like straight away, something I desire and like the look of and think, yes, please, straight away I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if there's something else I can get to go with that. I wonder if they do gloves. I bet there's a nice top that would look good with that. Before you know it, instead of a scarf, I've bought an outfit, bit of makeup to go with it, maybe my haircut. That's how money works. It offers something that it cannot give. In reality, what money delivers into our lives is self-reliance. So we think, if I amass enough money, I'll be fine, I'll be sorted. In reality, what it means is I won't need God. So some of the most impressive people I've seen in faith have had the least amount of money. So you think to yourself, if I had loads of money, I'd be able to do loads for the kingdom. I'd be able to give away loads, I'd be able to... Some of the most impressive Christians I've seen have been the ones with very little and, and I watch them and think, my goodness, they are often more generous, often good stewards, often in their lack, they are able to rely on God more and see God do more. And I, I've read stories of, of pastors who have decided an amount that they would live on for their lives, and then every time they've had a pay increase, every time they've been given more, they've just given it away, and they've lived on an amount that they thought was right and appropriate before God. So Rick Warren is a, is, a, is a mega church pastor. Him and his wife decided this early on in their marriage and basically decided an amount they would live on and through his books, through his ministry, every time he's earned more, he's literally just given it away. Every time. And, and I think, I look at his ministry and think, man, that, that makes sense, that God would hugely bless that. So it delivers greed. I call it the more monster. You know the more monster. You just want more, more, more. You have it and you think, more. The more monster exists in this society like nothing else. It it basically stomps around. You see it at Christmas and there is rage there and there is pushing and shoving and all the things I hate. Um, The more monster basically just rears its ugly heads, probably in all of us, to be honest. The Bible's really clear that the only person who gets to offer security, lasting happiness... And and I don't mean happy like we all skip around. I I don't know that that's the kind of happiness. It's the kind of happiness where you're satisfied. Does that make sense? So you'll still cry, you'll still have hardships, you'll still... But there's an inner happiness where you're satisfied. That's what God offers. It's been said, I think it's like like a proverb, really, that people spend money they don't have on things they don't want to impress people they don't like. And I think that can be a little bit true at Christmas time, can't it? Hello, boy. Okay, we're going to watch the next clip, if that's all right, Charlie. Hey, hey, don't be sweeping the chimney now. You're blocking the smell. This is Bob Cratchit's house. How do you know that? You just tell me. Hmm. Well, I'm usually trustworthy. <laughs> Who is that? Mrs. Cratchit, of course. Peter, do not stop turning that spit. That is the whole secret of a properly roasted goose. It smells so good, Mother. It does, doesn't it? Oh, that smells wonderful. Oh, good grief. Hey, I'm stuck. Get me out of here. I knew you weren't suited for literature. Oh, at least I landed on something soft. And hot! Oh, 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 hot, oh, hot, 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 hot! Mother, 
couldn't eat the chestnuts until Father and Tiny Tim get home. Oh, I, 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 I wasn't uh, eating them. I was, uh, I was merely checking them to see if they were not burnt. It's a chef's thing, dear. And do not shout, Bettina. I'm Belinda. I'm Bettina. Uh, of course you are, uh, Bettina. <sighs> Belinda. Whatever. people saw him in church because it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. A remarkable child. And with that, the Cratchits came to what was surely the happiest single moment in all the live-long year. Such a meager feast. But very much appreciated. I paid Bob such a small amount. Mr. Scrooge. Bob. Bob Cratchit. It only seems right that I should lift a glass to my employer. I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. <laughs> if I had him here, I would give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I bet he would choke on it. Hmm. Choke. choke! My dear, the, the children, Christmas Day. Oh, uh, well, well, well I, I suppose that on the blessed day of Christmas, one must drink to the health of uh, Mr. Scrooge, mm. even though he is odious, mm -hmm. stingy, mm -hmm. wicked, mm -hmm. and unfeeling, mm -hmm. and badly dressed. <gasps> to the founder of the feast, Mr. Scrooge. Mm. Uh, to Mr. Scrooge, he'll be very merry and happy this day, I have no doubt. No, no doubt. doubt. Mm. Cheers. God bless us. Everyone. Life is full of sweet surprises. Every day. <clears throat> okay, just want to say a couple of things out of that clip. If you um, read A Christmas Carol or watch Muppets Christmas Carol or any one of the 20 other versions, you'll see weaved through the whole of the story is, is a message about the poor. And uh, you see something of... I suppose Charles Dickens' heart, but also probably his social commentary. So he lived at a time where, you know, the poor were just everywhere. And, and 
he would have seen and experienced poverty at a, a level that, that probably we don't know much about. Um, and you see that the, the plight of the poor is just kind of weaved through the story. And, and I, if you've never read your Bible, you'd be interested to know, I think, that God's heart is also for the poor, and the plight of the poor is, is weaved throughout his story. Um, the poor should matter to us, um, no, no matter where we live, no matter what we do, no matter how much we have, the, the poor should matter to someone. Um, Jesus, when he began his ministry, got up in, in the temple and read um, a bit from Isaiah. And I'm just going to read that to you. He said um, in Luke 4, he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then you see this man in his ministry just walking in and out of people's lives and transforming them. So feeding them, making them well again, making them whole again. You, you see this, not only does he get up and say, this is what the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me for, he then goes out and does it. Um, and it's a, I think lots of people admire the person of Jesus because of this aspect. I think churches are often admired when they do good works amongst the poor because it is something, whether we, we kind of like it or not, that is in our heart. It does touch us. It does compel us. There is something where, where you just feel like, I, I just want to do something to help someone else who suffers in a way I don't. Um, and I think Christmas time is such an interesting time when, when we have such a lot and we have a table full of food and, and more presents than, than really you need to be mindful of the poor. And I know that's probably not um, what you expected to come and hear this morning, but, but I feel like it's difficult to talk about Christmas and to talk about um, this movie in particular without mentioning the poor. This is a message all by itself, so, so I only want to say um, a couple of things, really. As a local church and as individuals within this local church, we should always do something with the poor, whatever it is. And, and quite honestly, at the moment, as a local church, we're probably just finding our feet, but we should do something, anything, um, in order to be good news uh, to the poor. Um, so next week, we're not doing it this week because don't want to spring it on you, especially if you're a guest here in our house. Uh, next week, we're going to take up an offering for a local charity called Homestart. And they're a, um, a charity that works with families within Sutton Coalfield and, and the surrounding area. And they just offer practical support and help um, to families that, that need it. They get referrals often by social services, sometimes through schools, and, and they just go into families and come alongside. Wendy, who's not in here, um, volunteers with them and, and just goes in and spends time with families that are struggling and that need it. I think it's a really appropriate charity for us as a local church to stand next to, partly because we have such a lot of young families. So we get to uh, know exactly what that's like and know all the struggles and also help others who might face bigger struggles than us, um, particularly financially. So Homestart over the last year have had such a massive chunk of their budgeting cut. So I think we've come at just the right time to be able to just 
give in to that. So I'd like to encourage us next week to bring our pennies and to give into an offering. If you've got children, I'd love you to chat to them and, and speak to them about giving into a family that, that doesn't have as much as you have. And, and I'd love us as a family to be able to give them a Christmas gift and just say, here's a, here's a chunk of money just to help you over this season. And I think as a local church, we have to work out what to do, but also individually. We have to work out what to do in order to help the poor. Um, and then the next thing I want to say is, is about a table. So who has a table in their house? A dining room table. Nice. Who has chairs around it? Who sits around it and eats food? Nice. See, I've been in houses where um, the, the dining room table is really an extra sideboard, so no one sits around it to eat. In fact, I know one family who... Um, the table is a sideboard and everything gets dumped on it, but once a year at Christmas Day, they sit around it and eat. The rest of the time in front of the TV or on the sofa or whatever. The, the table throughout Charles Dickens' story, but not just Charles Dickens' story, throughout the Bible, if you go on Bible Gateway and type in the keyword search table, it comes up hundreds of times throughout the Bible. Tables to, um, stuff, to put stuff on in the temple, tables to eat round tables, to sacrifice. On the, they're just everywhere. Tables are everywhere. It's the new black it's in, okay? Tables are so where it's at, in the Bible and in A Christmas Carol. You see, tables are losing their place in our homes. So now when you go house hunting, often you, you'll find that, oh, there's, there's a little space there for you to put a table in the kitchen. And we, like, when we went house hunting, we wanted um, a big kitchen diner so that we could have lots of people around to eat. And I know when we were chatting to the agents, they were a little bit surprised that that was one of our criteria so that we could have a massive table and have loads of people around it because it's a, it's a dying out thing. Um, I, I think it's absolutely essential for kids to learn to sit around a table and chat and learn manners and learn about one another. It, it's a brilliant place. So uh, this sounds bizarre to me, really. As I was preparing this, this was not at all what I thought God was going to talk to us about this morning. I felt like the major thing he said to me to bring this morning was about a table. I was like, really, God? I'm going to stand up at our Christmas uh, service and talk about a table. Uh, we've just bought a new table, so I thought, well, you know, like maybe it is just like because we've just bought a new table. Um, but I think I want to flag up tables, and I want us to be a people that regularly get round the table. So let me tell you in the Bible what the table's used for, and in a Christmas carol, used for very similar. So. Tables in the Bible is a place of acceptance. So Jesus got round a table with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. He got round a table with the rich, the poor, the dirty, the clean. The, he, he just got them round tables. So in Matthew it says... Um, Jesus was reclining at a table in the house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The table's a place of acceptance. Round the table, there's no position, there's no, we're round a table together and Jesus' table, everyone's welcome. Let me tell you that this morning. At the table of Jesus, everyone's welcome. If you want to come and take a seat, if you want to recline with him, if you want to spend time with him, his disciples, his church, you are welcome. 
It's a sad day for us, I think, when people feel like the one place they're not welcoming is our church. It's a sad place when people feel so judged that Christians are the people they don't want to be around. At our table, everyone's welcome, especially those who other people would shun and say, you are not welcome, especially those. This table, everyone's welcome. It's a place of worship. So in the Bible, a woman came um, with an alabaster jar of oil and broke it on Jesus and worshipped him at a table. So it's a place where you can talk about Jesus, where, where you, can, you, you can wrestle with things. You can, it's why in our life groups, we always say we want to eat together. It's not because we love food, although we do love food here. It's not just that. It's because when you get round the table, we can talk about Jesus. We can talk about him normally, naturally, because it's a part of our lives. So around our table, we talk about all sorts of stuff around our table. Sometimes you're dodging things being thrown. And, you know, a family mealtime, often I describe it as an extreme sport. Um, but we do talk about Jesus. When we have our life group round, when we go to other people's houses and we get around the table, we talk about Jesus. Next, the table is a place to remember Jesus. So it's the place where Jesus said, take communion. So he, he didn't say, take it in a church meeting. He sat around a table having a meal and he got out the wine and he got out the bread and he said, drink this and remember me eat this and remember me. He wanted it to be something of a meal time where you're with people, where there's a place of acceptance, where it's a place of worship, where it's a place of remembering. And he said to all the guys around the table, when you do this, remember me. Knowing that they're going to sit down at a table regularly. They're going to have the occasional glass of wine. They're going to have a chunk of bread. They will be able to regularly remember me. I've done it with things. So if I'm praying for someone about something specific that I want to do daily, I say to myself, I'm going to do this every time I brush my teeth. Because I know twice a day I'll be doing that. And so I know that it's something that I'll do twice a day and I will remember to pray for them. So, for example, friends of mine who would like to have babies, I will say to myself, I'm going to pray then. For my family, some of them who maybe know Jesus, some who don't, if there's things they've said to me, I'd like you to pray about this, I'll do it just before I'm brushing my teeth or just after. It's a point in my day when I know I'm going to do something twice. So meal times are a point in your day around the table where Jesus is saying, remember me. It's a place to feast. So Christmas Day dinner, I'm sorry, but is there anything better than that? My goodness. I, like, I love it. I love the following day with all the leftovers. I just think it's the best meal ever. And you sit around a table, you eat together, laugh together, eat those little sausages wrapped in bacon, wear stupid hats on your head and laugh and feast. And it's brilliant. You, you would be maybe surprised to know that Jesus condoned this but was also a part of this. It says here uh, in Luke 5, And Levi... I love that. Oh, my boy. And Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. So you see Jesus being a part of this big feast and eating and drinking and spending time with people. 
lovely. I, I feel like we almost sometimes need permission that it's okay to enjoy our food, to enjoy our friends, to spend time together. It's a place that looks like heaven. Now, when you think about heaven, do you think about tables? Or maybe just angels on a cloud with, you know, halos and big wings. There are tables in heaven. We know this because Jesus says, you will eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones. Sounds good, doesn't it? You will eat and drink in the kingdom. So there will be feasts like we've never known before in the kingdom. That I reckon there'll be chefs like Jamie Oliver and stuff, but instead of having to pay, they'll all just be cooking for us all. And they'll all be lined up. Um, Gordon Ramsay, because of course he'll get saved by that point. And um, they'll all be lined up cooking whatever we want and we'll be feasting in heaven it's what the bible says it well not about gordon ramsay says about the tables and that we will be feasting in heaven it's a place to show hospitality and service so mary and martha um, gave a dinner for him and martha served and lazarus was there reclining at the table so you've got this beautiful picture of serving and hospitality if you have that gift of service and hospitality it's such a beautiful gift it means you can welcome people into your home and look after them and and they just you know love it they just have good times with you they just feel looked after it's such a brilliant gift one we should excel in as a church life groups should excel in at just being hospitable and having people around our tables It's a place where people we love sit. So Jesus had all of his disciples, but you see various points. He says, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table. So you see it's this place of acceptance and anyone's welcome, but there are some real heart connections made around a table. People that you just go, oh, just love you. I just want you around this table. And for God, I think there is something of a a wanting people to be round his table that he can connect with and enjoy and I love throughout a Christmas carol you'll see snippets of Bob Cratchit and his family round the table and they're a family that are poor but they are a family that have so much more than Ebenezer Scrooge so he is rich and alone and miserable they are poor with such a wealth on their table with so much happiness, with so much joy, that the the tiny amount they have, they just share with everybody. So it's not about if you've got enough money or a brand new table or a big house or it's just about getting people around it. It's not even about what you serve. So soup and some bread is just as good as as a full cordon bleu, three course meal spread out, if that's what you've got. And that's what you can invite people into. It's a beautiful place, the table. And I, in the course of my life, have done so much growing up and learning around a table. In my home, the table was so noisy and and so much fun. And we talked about our days and it was a chance for my brothers to show off their, their high comical skills that, of course, they have or think they have it it was a chance for my mum to train us it was it was just such a good place the dinner table and I had friends who loved coming to our house because we ate round the table and they ate on the sofa in front of the tv and it just is a beautiful place so let me encourage you firstly at God's table you are all welcome 
No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, you are all welcome. And let me encourage us as a people to just use our tables over and over again to worship, to have people round, to train, to show hospitality, to just make the most of our tables. Our table is new and I would like it to get scuffed up and used and wrecked if it needs to by the amount of people that sit around it. My husband's shaking. He, he loves the new table. So he's like, really? It's going to get wrecked? We bought a five-year cover for it. So any scuffs or scratches, they come out and fix. So you're welcome around our house, all right? We'll have the last clip, Charlie, if that's all right. Okay, I'll stand here. <laughs> Yes, the bedposts were his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Hi, guys. We're back. We promised we would be. But the thing that made Scrooge happiest of all was that his life lay before him. And it could be changed. I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future of Jacob and Robert Marley. Oh, heaven in the Christmas time, be praised for this day. I say it on my knees, Jacob and Robert. On my knees. Oh, they're not torn down. They're here, and I'm here. More's a miracle. Oh. oh, I don't know what to do. I, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm, I'm as merry as a schoolboy. Um, do you think it's safe for us to be up here? Scrooge is saved. What can happen now? Yeah. You there, boy. What, me? Uh, that is, uh, what, me, sir? What's today? Pardon? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Well, today is Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits did it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Uh, of course they can. <laughs> do you know the poultry shop in the next street? Yes, sir, I do. An intelligent lad. A remarkable lad. <laughs> do you know whether the prize turkey has been sold in the window? Oh, the one twice as big as me? It's still there. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you, lad. Go and buy it. Be serious. I am being serious. Buy it for me and I'll give you a shilling. Oh. No, I'll give you five shillings. What? Wow! <laughs> and so the boy was off like a shot. So even... Oh, ah! Um, sorry. I'll bring it to Bob Cratchit's house. What a surprise it'll be. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. And a few moments later, dressed in his finest, Scrooge appeared on the streets of the city to wish Merry Christmas to all the world. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Gee, thanks. Everyone was out and about this fine morning, and soon he encountered two familiar faces. Mr. Scrooge? Pardon me, gentlemen, but about the charity donation you asked me for yesterday. Oh, yeah. Put me down for... <gasps> that much? Not a penny less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what to say. I just wish there was something we could give you. A gift? A gift for me? Thank you.
Thank you. Fifty times. And a Merry Christmas. Here's your turkey, Mr. Scrooge. Follow me, lad. With a thankful heart, with an endless joy. Sorry. This, this next bit is the best bit in the whole film, but I'm sorry. You have to go home and watch it, all right? <laughs> the last thing I want to say, really, is um, salvation is found in no one other than Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. But once you have it, it compels you to do all you can to... If I say pay it back, I don't mean that you can pay it back, but something in your heart wants to pay it back. And for Scrooge, his transformation was a complete turnaround of heart, a complete change in everything. And it wasn't compelled by guilt or shame or... um, he wasn't compelled because actually he'd been shown how dreadful his life was looked. You see in his face something changed. Something transformed him. It reminds me loads of the story in the Bible of Zacchaeus who was up a tree looking down on Jesus and Jesus pointed him out and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Basically Zacchaeus was a thief. He would cream off money for himself so he'd have been wealthy and Jesus chose him, saw him, knew him, and his life was totally transformed. And then he went out and gave back over and above what he'd taken. That a transformed heart is incredible. In Acts 4, it says this This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. The Bible's really clear. You don't get to be saved because you're good enough, pretty enough, you've got enough money, you've got enough good works. In fact, the Bible says some quite scathing things about your good works. They're a little bit like rags. If if you want to gross yourself out, you can look up in the original what kind of rags God is talking about, but it is not pleasant. The Bible says that your best efforts are like rags. Your best efforts. So you think, the times when I've really tried hard, and then I used to think, oh my gosh, what about the times that I didn't? What about the times that I lied, cheated, kept stuff back? What about those times? If my best efforts are like rags... My worst efforts, I don't know what they are. But the Bible says that salvation is found in Jesus, that it's a transformation of your heart. And I have seen this happen to people over and over and over again. I've seen people encounter Jesus, surrender their lives to him, and then live differently. And I don't mean that people are altered in their personality. That, That did concern me a little bit when I became a Christian. I thought, like, do you retain who you are or do you become this kind of like Christian robot? Do I have to wear sandals? Will I always carry around a giant Bible? Will I like, like take on this voice that's a little bit deeper and, and a bit authoritative? Will I lose my dress sense? Will I have to play guitar? Like, what, like, what will happen to me? Um, and I was pleased to know that literally what God does in your life is he deals with your sin and your shame, and your guilt, or all the stuff really that you don't want to carry around, and he brings you into the person you should always be. So he takes who you are and makes the most of you. 
So where at times you've been generous, he makes the most of that. Where at times... So I've seen things like, you know, someone's musical ability being made the most of because God has taken hold of them. Someone's generous heart being made the most of because God has taken hold of them. So he takes who you are and and brings you into fullness, I suppose. Um, So... Salvation is found in no one other than Jesus. And I'm grateful to God that I didn't spend too much of my life striving to be good or to attain some kind of goodness. I'm grateful to God that when I was 20 years old, he broke into my life and, and dealt with me, really. I'm grateful to God that I didn't need to spend too much time doing it in my own strength. For Scrooge, he got himself a second chance. He got a second chance to go and do something about Bob Cratchit and his family to pay his bookkeepers. The scene in A Muppet's Christmas Carol with the bookkeepers is fantastic, so funny. And I wanted to weave it into my preach, but I couldn't work out what to say about it, so I had to shelve it. Go home and watch it. So funny. If you want to borrow my movie, that's fine. Um, he gets to pay people a decent wage to to pay Bob Cratchit a decent wage to enjoy Christmas with his family. He gets this kind of second chance. And I think if we're honest, I think there is something in us that often would like that kind of slate clean. I know I was very grateful to have a second chance, to have a lot of my wrongs dealt with by someone and and a chance to go again and, and do it better, really. So, to end, I want to say just a couple of things, really. Remember that God sees you and knows you. For some people in this room, you will find that one of the most comforting things, that he sees your comings and your goings, your waking and your sleep time, that he sees your past, present and future, that he knows you. You will find that comforting. For some of you, you will find that terrifying. I would say if you find that terrifying... Do something about that. Get to know that God and turn it into something comforting. Secondly, give away as much money as you can. And I don't mean give it to me. I just mean give away. I think it would be an incredible New Year's resolution to decide that this year I am going to be the most generous person I know. I'm going to live on what is necessary for me to live on and I'm going to give away everything else into situations, people, my church. I'm going to be the most generous person alive. If someone asked you what your New Year's resolution would be, they'd be expecting you to say things like, well, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to stop smoking, I'm going to stop eating cake, I'm going to, basically, I'm going to stop doing all the things I really like doing. I'm going to stop doing all of that. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to get to bed early. I'm going to read more. I'm going to do all of that. Imagine people's surprises if you said, I'm going to give away as much money as I possibly can. That is my New Year's resolution. I would suggest keep a record of it. Keep a record of what you give away and keep a record of what God does. We've over the years done this and it has just been the most fun to look at what God can do with you when you are generous with him. Bring your money next week and put it into the hands of some families that need it. And I would say, if you have £5 spare, bring that. If you have £500, bring that. It doesn't matter to God what you bring. What matters is your heart in it. So with our kids, it doesn't matter if they bring 10 pence. It matters that they understand and with their hearts they're giving to someone else. And if we, can, if we can, as a people, just get that in our heads, some of us will give more and some of us will give less. 
what God is interested in is our heart, and that as a people we would be generous. Get round a table as much as you can this Christmas time with friends, with family, with neighbours, with strangers. Just get round tables and be with people. Get your kids round tables. Get the lost round tables. Get, get people who wouldn't normally fit round a table. And then lastly, be saved. If you do not know Jesus in this room, let me tell you, he is so worth knowing. I I wrote on Facebook this morning, it's such an honour to be able to talk about Jesus. It is by far the best Christmas present I could ever give you in this room, is Jesus. Um, If you meet him, you will have your life transformed. You will not get an easy life. You will not have a white picket fence and a great big house. You will probably get hardships, trials, suffering. Sounds good? But you will do it all with Jesus. You'll do it all with God in you. See, God loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. wants it so much that his own son went to a cross and died in your place for your sin. It's an amazing sacrifice to make. The Bible says that that sacrifice God will be satisfied with because men and women will be saved. Men and women that he died for will be saved. So there will be a satisfaction in the heart of God that that sacrifice was totally worth it. It is the single best decision I have ever made, including marrying my husband. That was the second best decision I ever made. The first best decision I ever made was giving my life over to Jesus, having someone else in control, responsible for me, dealing with my sin, dealing with my shame and giving me a future that is better than money offers, to be honest, better than anyone offers. And it has transformed my life in a way that I still recognise myself and at times I don't. It's amazing to know Jesus. So I'm going to end there. I think um, the worship team want to come up in their crazy Christmas jumpers. And shirts. You're welcome. And we're going to worship that amazing Jesus. If you want to chat to me about anything I've said, if you just want to tell me you thought it was awesome, that's great as well. But if you want to ask me any questions or would like to talk through with anyone anything that has gone on here this morning, please just come and chat to me at the end. I'll be the one with children hanging off my legs, all right?